Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to assistant coach at the New South Wales Waratahs, Simon Cron. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I've just looked at the number and every week it absolutely astounds me that it's 210. So thanks for tuning in to episode 210 of the podcast. So this comes from a different direction and it's something that I've wanted to do intermittently throughout these 210 episodes and that's to get the opinion of a technical coach and this is absolutely what Simon is about. So Simon is the assistant uh, coach at the Waratahs in Super Rugby and has a lot of experience in dealing with athletic development coaches. So it's really good to get his opinion because I think it's the thing that is missing from the podcast and all the sports performance podcasts that we all listen to. And that's the view of the coach. So we all talk about the communication side of things and what coaches want, but don't actually get a coach on. So hopefully that this, along with um, my, my chat with uh, John Hill and Robbie Nielsen, go towards filling that gap. So it's a fascinating chat with Simon. He gives some absolute gold nuggets of advice. So make sure you listen carefully. The first 10 minutes for me is absolutely superb. Um, I've written down so much in the first 10 minutes. I've been doing little quotes at uh, on Instagram and everyone is just quote, quote, quote every five seconds. So absolutely superb from Simon. Um, so I'd love to know what you think about this episode because it's something a little bit different. But I'm absolutely positive that anyone that tunes in will uh, will get tons and tons from this. You know, you earn respect through the way your knowledge and the way you can apply things. And if you can stand up there and get the boys to understand the why and the what of what we're doing, then they just jump on board. And, you know, that's how a really successful athletic performance coach works. So just before we do get into this episode of the podcast, I want to say a big thanks to Val Performance, makers of the Nordboard, Groin Bar, Human Track, and now Force Decks. So the big news coming out of Val Performance is the acquisition of Force Decks and all the staff, the fantastic staff that come along with that acquisition. So a really exciting development in terms of what Val Performance can offer in terms of uh, testing solutions. So may, you've maybe heard of the Nordboard, You've maybe heard of the groin bar, um, but if you are interested in a affordable uh, motion capture device, make sure you have a little look at Human Track. And also, there is a post recently on LinkedIn from Dr. Daniel Cohen, who was the uh, one of the founders of Force Dex, and explains why they decided to partner with Val Performance moving forwards. So I definitely encourage you to check that out. And if you are interested in any of the Val Performance products, head over to valperformance.com or follow them on Twitter at Val Performance. So big thanks to them guys for sponsoring this episode today. So without further ado, over to the episode with Simon Cron. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So this evening, I am delighted to welcome Simon Cron, who is the assistant coach for the New South Wales Waratahs. So welcome to the podcast, Simon. Thanks. Thanks very much. It's great to have you, mate. So yeah, one thing thanks mate one thing that we chatted about before and one thing that i've always said is is often missing on on podcasts that i've done 
is, well, there's a couple of things. One is um, the player's perspective, but I think most importantly is the technical coach's perspective. And we've had loads of sports scientists on, strength and conditioning coaches on, athletic performance coaches on, whatever you want to, whatever you want to call ourselves. But the big thing that's always missing is that coach angle. So it's great to get you on to get that holistic view of the the whole the whole kind of performance chain, which is um, which is I suppose the the, the coach at the at the head of it. So just give us a bit of a background, if you can, on maybe your background, how yeah. you got to where you are today, and then we'll dive into the athletic performance side of things. Yeah, good, Carl. Look, my my background, I am um, I. Uh, Originally started obviously in New Zealand. I'm, I'm from Christchurch in New Zealand, and um, I started. Obviously, I played a lot of rugby back there, and then I I uh, did a, a bachelor of education in PE and, and became a PE teacher. Um, so I taught physical education for eight years at high school level while I was playing. Um, and uh, during that time, I I also did a year or two at the New Zealand Institute of Sport, uh, working with um, elite athletes on the exercise prescription programs and biomechanics. Um, after that, I uh, flew to Australia uh, once I finished playing and uh, my then partner was keen, money our wife was keen to get away from rugby. So we, we flew over here, we didn't know many people and funnily enough ended back up in rugby. Um, and, and over that period, I've, I've been lucky enough to, to do a lot of coaching. Um, I coached at Northern Sydney and, and here in, in Sydney and um, uh, we had a pre- pretty successful run there and, and was lucky enough to get pulled into the national rugby competition as head coach of, um, of the Sydney Rays. Uh, and as a result of that, head coach of the Australian under-20s, um, where we went to Georgia and competed at the World Cup. And then um, post that, I've, I've joined the Waratahs as the assistant coach now, So, and I've been there for the last year. So yeah, quite a large amount of rugby. Nice. So your family's got a little bit of previous as well. Right. Yeah, bit, yeah, there is. There's a bit of crown involvement in rugby. Um, <laughs> yeah. My uh, my uncle is um, is currently all backs forwards coach. Has been for since 2011, and before that he was scrum coach uh, since 2003, I think it was. So uh, he's been massively involved. Uh, my cousin Danny is at the Hurricanes um, as a, as a assistant coach there, and and uh, my dad was an all black. So there's a bit of. Um, a bit of uh, rugby blood floating around. Nice. So I just looked on your website, and I know you you obviously had a teaching background, which is what we'll we'll chat a little bit about um, as we go on. But your head coach has also got a teaching background. Is that is that quite a common thing from for, for guys in rugby who've played, come out, do some teaching, then potentially go back in? Uh, look, I think a teaching background definitely helps with your ability to understand, you know, how humans learn and how people learn, and be able to interact with people from different backgrounds and age groups and, and, and I think it's really important if you um, – there's a massive difference between a manager and a coach and I think a coach can teach would be my evaluation of it, meaning I believe that all good uh, coaches have the ability to make people better at what they do and, and being able to teach somebody something is a massive part of that. And whether that be athletic performance and or um, as a rugby coach, I think that's, that's a big part. And you know what? Graham Henry, he's an ex-teacher. He, he's done an enormous amount um, for rugby in New Zealand, obviously, and, and a lot of the a lot of them have come from some sort of teaching background. I think even Steve Hansen potentially there. So yeah, there's a few. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So let's quickly move on to the athletic performance side of things. And one thing that I'd love to get your opinion on is 
your your view as a, your view of a good athletic development coach what the characteristics that what characteristics that person would bring what all, all the just all the all the qualifications what would you see as the perfect guy to to employ the waratahs as the athletic development coach well you know i think that the relationship between the the head coach and the coaches and the athletic performance staff um is possibly the closest working relationship in any sporting organisation. Um, so I think it's really important that the athletic, head of athletic performance, the head coach and, and the assistant coaches all have a really clear understanding of what they're trying to achieve um, and can work together, meaning you've got to, on a day-to-day basis, be be in touch with their, what, what you know every facet of your organisation is trying to achieve and, and that one's really important. So, for example, I find the best athletic performance coaches they're really clear and precise that, that their job is to make better rugby players. So in order to make better rugby players, they've got to have a really good understanding of what that takes, you know, what, what a rugby player is made up of. Um, so whatever sport you're in, whether it be soccer, rugby, cricket, um, you've got to understand the sport and obviously the physical um, attributes that make up the athletes in that sport and then be able to apply all of your knowledge. And I think the biggest gap between um, an average and a great uh, athletic performance coach is, is the ability to apply their knowledge. So a lot of guys have an enormous amount of knowledge. You can sit all day and, and they can talk graphs and figures, but it's a whole different story when you've got to be able to apply that to the sport you're in. And, um, you know, we talk all the time about what our players need to be successful um, from a physical attribute, but also what they need to be successful uh, on field. And uh, I think the combination of the athletic performance and the rugby program does that you know we talk a lot about and for the last 10 years i've always lived off a saying forces mass times acceleration um and our athletic performance staff are responsible for gaining mass in the off season it's a discussion i was just having today so that we can uh then work on the acceleration closer to the season and therefore have more impact in our force when we go into contact so um the understanding of that and how the guys apply that and then being able to go into a, a group of 35 athletes, rugby players, and stand there and, and, and you know, you earn respect through the way your knowledge and the way you can apply things. And if you can stand up there and get the boys to understand the why and the what of what we're doing, then they just jump on board. And, you know, that's how a really successful athletic performance coach works. On the reverse of that, if you can't gauge the player group, you can't uh, relate to them and you can't apply what you're trying to do into their sport, then you'll lose them. Um, so I think that relationship's, you know, possibly the most important relationship in sport. Um, and then, it, 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 you know, if they're both on the same page, it's amazing what you can do with a successful program. Um, the other side of it you asked there was about qualifications. Look, it's important. Qualifications are really important because you've got to know your area of expertise. And so be, therefore, you know, being degree qualified is, is an important part. However, in knowing your subject area, I still think you've got to be able to apply that to your sport. So there's no point in you making the perfect graph of a rugby player uh, and going, look, he is ready to play, he's amazing, and then he runs out in the field and he can't play. Um, <laughs> and this is the constant argument probably that different groups get into. There's no point in making an athlete perfect for kickoff. You know, if, I, if I'm looking at a graph and go, he's ready to go, he's perfect, and he kicks the ball off and can't receive a kickoff or doesn't have the, the repeat capacity efforts and um, post-contact, which is different to just running, then you haven't created a, a great rugby player. 
Um, and I think when you all understand what you're trying to achieve, which is a better rugby program, then you're all on the same page and it works. Do you think, and this is this is just picking up on a few of the, the kind of terminology that you used about the um, graphs and figures, you can, you know, someone can produce and, and get into the graphs and figures. Do you think, and just interesting based on, on that and you using that kind of terminology, do you think there's a bit of a, um, a disconnect between people's perception of athletic performance coaches that they are that graphs and figures guy? Well, I think in Australia, there has definitely been a little bit of that in the past. I think it's changing, meaning I think um, the ones who who potentially have come through um, certain systems over here uh, become too focused on what's on their computer screen in front of them and and therefore they lack the ability to look at the player and um, understand or visualise. So so our athletic performance coaches are pretty good. They don't feel all the time. So they'll come in and go, look, I think that this player, um, you know, he's a little bit low at the moment. I can tell by the fact that, it, you know, his coaches do the same thing. So they're not just looking at the data. The data is a really important part of, of giving us an educated idea or, or around what we're going to do in terms of planning or management of that player. So it's essential. However, um, the mistake we make is if that's all we pay attention to and we don't look at the athlete in front of us and go, you know what, I know this number six, and I know that at the moment he looks like he's in a hole, he's fatigued. Yeah, the data's showing us that he's been okay in terms of management, so what else is impacting on his ability to perform? And then it's working together to work that out. And I think that's a, a relationship between coach and athletic performance that's really important. Mm-hmm. So there was a, um, I read something yesterday, a paper that had come out about communication in, I think it was in soccer, that teams with good communication have a lower injury rate than uh, teams without good communication. And that that's fine. That's all right, obviously, knowing that. But how do you guys over there make sure that communication is um, fostered in the right way? So how do, how do you guys communicate? Well, it's a constant work on because everyone's fighting for time. So your players want your time. Um, your program wants your time, but I think it's really important that you actually actually schedule that time. So one of the things we worked on this year, and, and we didn't do as well as we could have, and and that's basically what we call a huddle. So in the morning, pre going on field, we'll huddle with the medical and the athletic performance team and just have a quick uh, brief run through on you know is what we've planned going to work who's suffering any sort of injury or issue that we didn't know about, and do we need to adapt slightly uh, in relation to the fact that with the new knowledge we've got um, from their screening or from their reviews in the morning. Um, and I think what that does is give everyone an opportunity to speak. And then we're all educated around making, you know, and sometimes you sit there and your head coach's job is, is, is to go, well, you know, I hear you. From a medical perspective, I understand that. But, you know what, I'm going to roll the dice today. I think we need to get through X, Y, and Z, and, and I'm willing to take that, that risk. You, you know, What's our risk factor? Oh, you know, I, I don't. I think you'll get away with it. So that kind of communication is really important um, because you've got to make a lot of decisions on the run. And and I've got no problem with an athletic performance coach or a medical staff member walking up to you as a coach and just whispering in your ear and going, look, you know, I think so and so is battling. You know, I think we need to pull them out of this next one. You know, and and doing making changes on the run um, because I think that kind of communication. When you've got enough respect for the staff and the people you're working with, that's a really effective way of making sure we're managing life versus retrospectively going, oh, yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, thanks, that doesn't yeah. help. 
Yeah, yeah. Okay. Nice. So on the and you mentioned it there about the athletic performance program versus the rugby program. Is this something again that maybe previous um, and, and the system that you mentioned that athletic performance coaches are thinking that they're job is the most important one rather than fitting into the bigger program of like you say building a better rugby player and this is actually a rugby program to win games rather than athletic performance program 100 percent. the biggest mistake from athletic performance point of view is thinking i'm in charge of the program so at the end of the day our job is to make better rugby players and as a result of that you have success on field <clears throat> and success is you know reflected in winning so you can have the most, the, the, the physically the best team in the world and lose. So at the end of that season, what have you done? Nothing. And, and you know, there's examples throughout history, and, and one of the ones I was talking about yesterday, we, we were talking about the All Blacks in 2007, the World Cup. They were statistically at the time strongest, fittest, fastest they'd ever been. Um, they were the freshest. I think there was a there was a period there where they dictated they needed to rest. And I think I think it was up to like 10 weeks that some of these guys rested that year and there's a bit of debate around it. Um, but it didn't transfer on field. So as a result of that, they didn't perform. And and in reflection, post that World Cup, I know that there was, you know, they look back on it and go, you know, what can we do better here? Um, so I think it's really about understanding you've got to train your athlete for your specific sport. And as a result of that, the, the athletic performance guys need to know the sport. They need to know, you know, the things that sometimes aren't as measurable, e.g. contact loads, and they've got to have a really good understanding of how to balance all of that out. Um, you've got to have a really good gut feel, meaning you've got to use all your data. That's really important because that's your education side of it, and that's nice and clear. But you've also got to be able to see what's in front of you and, and be able to gauge, you know what, I think we can go a bit further or we need to pull back a little bit here. And, and the best athletic performance coaches I've had have done that. They walk up to you and go, look, Chrono, I think Thursday session, we need to bring it back by 15 to, you know, minutes, keep the same intensity, but it'll just freshen us up a little bit. Don't drop your intensity, but time on feet this week is going to be a massive influencer for us in performance. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, so it's nice and easy for you. So, yeah, I think there's a heap of examples of where, you know, I see some guys post on social media, oh, we had the the least number of hamstring injuries in this year and and then you're like, well, wait a minute. Did you win? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we, got, we got second or last or whatever. Well, it's not a successful program. So I wouldn't be posting, oh, you know, hashtag success hamstrings when you won that game. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. at the end of the day, you're there to win the sport. And, you know, you might break a couple of eggs on the way to that and there's got to be a balancing act. You might redline a few players and you might make some errors, but you're there to win. And um, there's no point in having an amazing, you know, medical program where we have no injuries and the best athletes and we lose if we waste of time. Do you think, do you think athletic performance coaches, from your perception, have use the data because it removes their it removes themselves from it and they can shift the emphasis onto the data rather than like you say on the fly which would come down to them as a person so they've made that decision whereas they've got a graph it's not them that made the decision it's the it's the data who's made that decision yeah I, I, it's interesting because maybe maybe there's been a bit of that I, I don't see it so much anymore 
you know, the best athletic coaches I've seen, I've seen have come through, um, you know, I was talking to one uh, over at Kobe in Japan uh, who who, um, who did South Africa uh, for four years and, and he did the balls before that, Basil was his name, and, and, and he came through a period where they didn't use, for example, the whole lot. They didn't have enormous amounts of data to go off. So he had to use his gut instinct on this is what I see in my player group. And then when he got the GPS data, it was able to back up what he was seeing and what he was saying and what he was feeling and, and and he could give educated feedback to the coach who at the end of the day is the one who makes the ultimate decision as to what we do. Um, and, you know, those guys don't hide through that. that, that you know, this is the, they give their suggestions and our guys are good like that. Like they'll say, look, I, this is what I see, this is what I believe. However, what do you need? That's the question. You know, and the best athletic performance coach will say, right, cry. Scrums on Tuesday. How, what kind of level are you going to have to do those scrums at for you to be successful? So if I turn around and go, I need a level 9 out of 10, it's going to be high contact, high physicality, and then they go, okay, that's good as goal. Well, what I'll do is I'll adapt our uh, lower body strength sessions so that we're running it at this period of time so we don't impact on your outcome. That's athletic performance. That's athletic performance getting them what they need to get done but at the same time understanding that there's got to be a rugby program run and being a bit flexible around it. Now, he achieves what he needs to from a, from a data point of view and getting that strength session in, but he knows that if he runs that strength session pre my scrum session, the boys are going to come out cocked and we're not going to be able to do any sort of uh, skill development or produce any power. So, um, you know, I think, I think the weak ones would hide behind graphs and I think the good ones would use graphs as a tool. Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, so one thing, another thing we chatted about before was uh, athletic performance coaches being clock driven, and that's maybe something that you've come across before. I just want to explain what you meant by clock driven. I suppose it feeds into what you've just discussed, really. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's important to have an understanding. Look, as coaches and as a teacher, you're playing decision, and, and you know your coaching points, you know your drills, you know how long they're going to run for. However. As a teacher and knowing that I need to change um, players so that they can execute something under pressure, well, there's different stages of learning. And sometimes, for example, you'll be in the middle of a drill and, and, and someone will walk up behind you and go, you get two minutes. And you know that you're still in the cognitive phase of learning, meaning these guys aren't getting it, so you're going to adapt it and put them in different scenarios so you get them more associated. They get better, they practice, they execute a three-on-two, draw and pass, sticking the inside shoulder. You know that if you move on in two minutes – you haven't coached. They're not getting better at that skill. So the ability for you to turn around and go, look, good as gold, we're going to drop um, this drill off the end of our training session, we're staying here. And the ability for your athletic performance to go, gotcha, you need to stay here to coach it, will adapt and become flexible. So what you can't do, for example, is go, this is our time frame, three minutes, two minutes, three minutes, two minutes, and then you, at the end of your three minutes, you haven't coached it, they haven't got better at it, but because your time's up and the whistle blows, you move on to the next one. So if you do that, then you feel like you're just ticking boxes. Because when you walk off that field, you know, an hour later, and you ask yourself, did my players implement what I was wanting them to do? And did they understand how to execute under pressure or even in a closed skill? You've got to be able to answer yes. Because if you haven't done it, what was the point of being on the field? So when you reflect that back to athletic performance, guys, what we don't want to do is make, for example, here's a good saying, don't make the GPS the new clock. Hey, I've done 3Ks off, your session's ended. 
No, 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 no. You can, there's live GPSs. The boys can come in and go, look, you know, we're tracking okay here or they can give you a gauge. But sometimes you're going to go over and sometimes you you might be able to go under and it's about balancing out and our guys talk about all the time, the chronic loads to make sure that, you know, that we know that that doesn't, that's the, the key thing for us, um, that they, to build resilience, we have a strong chronic load. So um, sometimes days change and, and the world doesn't crash if, if for one day you've got to go a little bit longer. Do you know so how I mean? do you, yeah, no, I know exactly. I know exactly what you mean. So, how do you then reevaluate if that does happen? So, reevaluate after the session. What's that process look like? Yeah, look, it, it happens a bit here, and, and you know, and I'm guilty of it um, because <laughs> I, love, I, I love coaching. So, I love walking off the field knowing the, the boys have nailed it. But I can sometimes get myself in trouble with our athletic performance coach. He's like, kind of for Christ's sake. You know, you're 10 minutes or 15 minutes over. But it's also, our guys are pretty good about understanding, but this is what I was trying to achieve. But then it's, as a coach, it's going, okay, well, how about we taper the end of the week a little bit more now because we, you know, we went a bit longer during Tuesday's session. I won't do as much more D on Thursday. You know, and it's about having flexibility between, between all of them. But at the end of the day, the last thing you want to happen is you go out there on a Saturday and the one thing you decided not to do, because even though you knew it was a critically important factor, you didn't do it because of time, I tell you now, you're sitting in the box and it's the one thing that they eat you up on. They do you. And then the boys don't execute it. So I think as a coach, it's really important to be really well planned and know what's critical for you to achieve during that week. And then making sure you do achieve that within a, a, a realistic time frame so you don't you know, have the players running out on Saturday and they're physically exhausted. And that's where the athletic performance guys are really good at giving feedback on, hey, Chrono, pull back this week by 10 minutes at the end. I think we, we've done you know, a bit much, and, and if we keep going the way we're going on Saturday, they'll be really fatigued. So it's balancing out that fatigue. But at the same time, we have to be performance-based. So we have to be focused on performance. We're not focused on just a medical program. We're not focused on just athletic performance. We're focused on full rugby performance. And, and, you know, it's, it's that communication you talked about at the start. Without that, you just end up in a lot of fights. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Simon. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we start chatting about how we communicate with coaches and more interestingly, how Simon has changed the way he communicates with his players, both in the training facility and away from the training facility, which I think is really interesting. But just before we do get into part two with Simon, I just want to say a massive thanks to Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So Fatigue Science have exclusive access of the SAFT model, which is an algorithm developed by the US Army. And if you listen to my episode with Ian Dunican, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. So the SAFT model analyzes a number of different factors in your sleep history to predict your fatigue for the day ahead. So the alertness score indicates fatigue predicted effects on your reaction time, your lapse index, your mental output, all, all things that are obviously essential for the performance that you're gonna undertake that day. So as you can tell, it is much more than a sleep tracking device. However, it is a sleep tracking device, but not only does it track sleep, um, it considers the 
Time you're into sleep, how well you slept, how much sleep debt you have, and even your local sunrise and sunset times. So a really impressive bit of kit is the ready band from Fatigue Science. So if you are interested in getting to know a little bit more about Fatigue Science, head over to their website, uh, fatiguescience.com, but also follow them on Twitter at Fatigue Science. So one thing that I wrote down last time we spoke was a really nice little quote, uh, critical few versus important many, in terms of the emphasis that you put on maybe a day or a week. What do you mean by that? And how do you implement that philosophy moving forwards? Well, it's actually it's something I was lucky enough to pick up off my uncle around. Um, you know, as a coach, when you watch a game, post that game, you'll have 100 clips uh, from that game, meaning you've clipped a whole lot of things you need to fix or improve. The, the, the skill set in being a coach, and I'm sure it's the same from an athletic point, performance point of view, is the ability to work out what's critical. And by that, what I mean is what's critical between Saturday and Saturday that I need my players to do and to understand and to learn and to be able to execute for us to be successful next Saturday. And the hardest part in doing that is working out the difference between important and critical. Because I'll have 20 important things I think are important. Yeah, but I can't coach or teach or make guys better at 20 things. It's impossible. So what I need to do there is narrow my scope and go, you know what, we're playing the Lions this week. They're an extremely good mauling team. Mall defense for me this week is critical. And then planning out to make sure that I tick the box on the critical few and I coach it meaning I do it well. So there's no point in me having my 20 and skimming through it and ticking boxes and, and giving it lip service and then the boys not being able to execute it on field. And then the same goes in terms of your athletic performance planning. Those guys have an understanding of each week and the loads on each week and they'll give us an idea. You know, I'm sure a lot of people use like a green, orange, red um, week in terms of load. The traffic light system is, you know, Green, we can do a big week, you know, red was a smaller week, and, and then they come in and go, boys, it's critical this week that we deload them a little bit. You know, so it's about being able to work between each other and get the critical athletic performance stuff done, but at the same time, coach and make them better at the things we need to between Saturday and Saturday. Mm-hmm. Just moving back. Yeah, no, absolutely. So just moving back to the communication side of things, and just looking at the importance of everyone being on the same page, and I know it's something that comes up all the time with S&C coaches, sports scientists that I have on the podcast, that everyone needs to be on the same page. Everyone needs to be pulling in the same direction with the same um, the same language, uh, et cetera. But how does that, and like I say, we spoke about before, but how does that work in practice from, from a coach point of view? Well, and this is something I mentioned. So I've, I've been into a lot of different rugby programs and I've watched some of the best in the world and, and been a little bit blessed and watching some guys who I think are really, really good coaches. Now, their athletic performance staff are in the rugby meetings. So the mistake you make is that you don't go into the meetings about rugby because you're athletic performance and you've got too much stuff, you've work you've got to do. So by that, what I mean is uh, the best athletic performance staff come into that meeting and start to pick up on, on cue words, so coaching cues. So, for example, at scrum time, we have a thing called power position, and we talk about getting in the most powerful position for us to generate as much force as possible. And we talk about having your, having your power boss turned on and, and what that looks like. 
Uh, we talk about being between sort of 110 and 120 degrees at power position. And, and the way we describe that is, you know, as you just come out of a squat and you, you know when you're doing a squat and you're just coming out of it and you know you've got it, that point when you know you've got it, that's about 110 to 120 degrees. That's your most powerful position for us at scrum time. So we don't want guys ending up in a deep squat where you're at 90 because as soon as pressure comes on, like let's say you've got your one RM at 90 and I, at 90 degrees and I load you at weights up, you're only going one way and that's down. So uh, the good thing there is our athletic performance coaches come in and they hear me talking about power position. So next time they're in the gym and they're talking to the boys, okay, as you come out of your squat, you know, Chrono talks about power position, we want you to explode out of that power position. So when you, hit, when you know you've got to explode out of it because we need to create – you know, a lot more force, generate a lot more force when we when we explode out of that uh, at scrum time. So all of a sudden, the terminology and the keywords that we use on field are being used in the gym. Um, and as a result of that, the S&C's understanding of rugby program is, is, is so useful for me because the boys are hearing the same keywords. Um, and you look at that from a, from a, the best guys can do that on field. So we talk about sticking the inside shoulder um, when you're running on a three-on-two. You know, if the athletic performance coach can run a drill and go, stick the inside shoulder, and he's yelling the same few words that we know are critical, then he's a massive part of our rugby program. So, and that's that's the valuable part. That's the part where if we're all speaking the same language, um, we can really make a difference around the guy's understanding because they're constantly getting hit with the same few words or coaching cues. So I'm sure there'll be people out there listening who think that's a great idea but have never actually been involved in their sport coach meetings. How would you, from from your point of view as a coach, how would you encourage athletic performance coaches to actually get involved and not feel like they're encroaching on something they shouldn't be? Invite yourself in. Yep. If your head coach, your head coach will want you there. He might not be saying it to you, um, and if they don't want you there, then they're not a good coach. So a good coach would, if you understand the why and the what, so if their third performance coach goes up to you and says, hey, coach, can I come into your scrum meeting? I want to listen to your keywords and your, and your coaching points to see if there's anything that I can continue to use in the gym when we're doing the different body shape. I don't know a coach that would say no. So not a good one. Maybe someone who's going to retire. But, um, but but all the good ones love it because all of a sudden, and this is the thing I've seen in the best guys, they want, and I, it's always a time, everyone's time poor. But I tell you now, that 45 minute review or that 30 minute pre season chat, or, you know, that can make the difference between winning and losing. But also, when we talk about athletic performance coaches being able to integrate themselves into a rugby program so that the, the outcome is a better rugby player, it's really important they get an understanding of some of those coaching cues, some of those cue words, and they can sit down and work out how to implement that in their program. And all of a sudden, all your coaching staff are aligned. You know, it's perfect. It's just like a head coach watching guys throw weights and seeing walking in and watching the athletic performance staff do their job. Sometimes that's important. You've got to understand how it works over there. It's a mistake if you think you're just siloed. If you don't crisscross, you know, across each other, you never get good enough or better at what you're doing. You're just a silo. And unfortunately, in modern sport, silos don't really work as well. So is that something that you guys actively do, is go spend some spend time in the gym? And if so, is that planned? Is that spontaneous? How does that work? Uh, it's planned. 
So we, we try to do some – so, for example, we'll do really slow, closed skill stuff in a gym. So, for example, we, we'll sit down with, with um, one of our athlete performance guys who's in charge of a lot of the gym programs and, and our head coach, Gibbo, will say, hey, you know, what's your rest period? During that 90-second rest period, is there any harm? Is there any – are we impl- are we causing any issue if we just do some uh, punch passing with the players? Who are not good as gold? So we'll get thirty punch passes in between their reps, and it's it's very low. It's not high intensity; they're stationary. Um, or we might even do a wee tackle tech thing. And, and the key thing there is for the coach to say first and foremost, we're coming into your environment. Uh, is this going to negatively impact on what you're trying to achieve? Whether it be strength, mass, you know, whatever. And if it's not, there's a really good opportunity to do some skill work inside the gym. So we use some of these. Like this week, we just did three 90-second blocks, uh, two coaches, boys rotated out of skills. Uh, they just walked straight out the gym door, and there's an all-terrain turf there. And we just did uh, passing primers, which is just executing um, a, a static pass to perfection. And then they walk back in again. So we actually do try to use that gym time, if we can, to get a little bit of extra skill work. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Sounds good. So one one last thing that I want to uh, touch on, I think it's one of the, from for the athletic performance guys out there, sports scientists out there, this is something that's come up, comes up all the time, and that's information delivery. Getting that information that we've spoke about for the last half hour actually in your hand or, you know, into their mouth and then into, into a room with it, in a meeting. From your experience, and this we may have covered this already, and it, I, I kind of may know the answer already, but how from your experience, what's the best way for them to deliver that information, whether it be before the session or after the session in terms of the, in terms of the data and how they see that, the importance of that? Uh, look, you know, I think, I think there can be an enormous amount of data. Sometimes it just gets sent through. The key thing is to be able to bullet point what point you're trying to get across. Because what you got to understand, and, and this is reality of life, like I said before, everybody's a little bit time poor. So if you send through an enormous amount of data that you understand and you know all the ins and outs of and you send it to a coach, he's likely to open it up and try to pick out what he thinks is critical. It is much better for every single time you send data through to bullet point what you see is critical, like I talked about before, and what you want us to pay attention to. Same goes post-training, same goes for the week leading up to it. So we talk about this is our projected load, this is what we've achieved, this is what we're doing next week, this is where we were low, where we were high, we have colour coding. I, I had a meeting earlier this week and I said, fellas, walk in, I'd rather spend five minutes talking to you than trying to read through all, this, all the graphs you've just sent me. We sat down and I said, right, boys, explain to me, you're telling me that this player has a load and medium load and we're trying to get mass building on him, whereas I heard last week he ran 23K. You show me... And you show me in your data what he's actually doing. And it took the guys two and a half minutes. And they reflect, they, they showed me exactly what they'd been saying. But if they'd just sent me that information and, and, and I'm reading 23K and I'm not interpreting all their data correctly, then all of a sudden we end up in a fight about the fact he's not going to be able to mass build because it's a contraindication to all the running he's doing. So, uh, you know, sometimes just a four or five bullet points on the email. Don't just send the email with five attachments and think coach is going to go through every single one of those because he's going to be extremely busy and someone else, you know, the lock's going to walk in and want to talk to him about lineouts. You're much better if you want to get a point across. Bullet point the four or five key critical things that you need him to know 
and include that in the email. Um, and then it's just an ongoing thing. Try to address things early so that you know what's coming up. Um, you know, don't retrospectively go, oh, but you didn't do that. No, sit down and plan things out. Um, so, yeah, I, I, that's probably the best way to work about it and then have some flexibility around, you know, solution-focused versus problem-focused. And, you know, I just hopped off the phone to our athletic performance coach and he was talking about solutions, not problems. So, um, you know, that's, that's, as a coach, as an athletic performance, as a teacher, as a parent, you've got to be solution-focused, not, not a no-man, you know, otherwise you'll never get anywhere. So in terms of lines of communication at the Waratahs, how, how are the athletic performance coaches feeding up? Who's, who's, who are they feeding that back to? Are they going direct to the coach? Does it depend on the data that's been delivered, who it goes to? Or is there a, a clear line all the time that, you know, that's where they go and that gets delivered up the chain? There's a pretty clear line. Like our head of athletic performance coach works really closely with our head coach in terms of some comms individually, but realistically, he will sit with his athletic performance team. They will go through a whole lot of data. They'll debrief. They'll talk about it, and then they'll send through what we need to know. Um, look, you know, we've got one of the guys here, Benny. We call him a good doctor because realistically, I don't want to know what he knows. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he could. He could. He probably goes to bed with a GPS on. Um, so from my point of view, I just need to know what I need to know, what they think is relevant for us to, to understand. So they'll have their own athletic performance meeting. They'll go through a whole lot of data. They'll send stuff to us as a coaching staff, and they'll point out what we need to know. And now and then we'll come back with the odd question. Now, they know the answer to that question because I've already talked about it, but, you know, sometimes they don't see it. It's critical for us to know. So it's, what, it's, a, it's a needs to know. There's no point in influxing a whole lot of data to us which we're not going to read. So they know, they know what we're looking at. They know what we're tracking. We know what players, like we've got individual performance programs and we've got physical goals on every one of our players. So, you know, we'll, we'll have a checkpoint in two weeks' time where I want to sit down with them and go, well, I've got five goals on a mass program. I'm tracking them. How are we looking? Are we achieving our goals? If not, why not? And those guys will be able to answer those questions and or adapt to make, to make it work um, because I know that forces mass times acceleration problem. If I hit the season and I don't have the mass... I'm not going to be able to apply enough force and contact. So we're working really hard at the moment on understanding what we need to do for each player and our, coach, our athletic performance coaches will be sending through the data that telling us that we're either doing a good job on it as a group or we're not. And if we're not, we need to fix it. So I, I think, you know, I don't want an encyclopedia. I want to know what I need to know and they need to deliver it in a way that we can quickly go through it and understand it. And if we need to talk about it, we sit and talk about it. That's the best approach. Mm-hmm. Sweet. So I know you, you spoke a little bit about um, athletic performance coaches going on social media and hashtag hamstring rehab or whatever you mentioned. Uh, are you are you yeah. on social media yourself? I just check. Upon I am. I'm not good at it, and I need. I, I no doubt I need to be better um, because uh, there's some really good people in our sport doing really great things. Um, and I'd kind of like to highlight what they're doing. I think it's really important in Australia at the moment that we highlight uh, the good things around rugby here. Um, however, I'm not. I, I I'm always uh, adverse to posting a whole lot, but I think I need to be better at it. Um, so, for example, my example of that is in the weekend I was very privileged to be able to present the trophy to to the winning female uh, team, uh, which was Sydney University uh, against Warringah in the shoe shield competition for, for the for the girls' rugby and, and it was a privilege to present it. 
uh, and I should really be saying something about that. I'm just uh, I'm a slow one. I'm a slow burn. <laughs> <laughs> so what would be what would be your platform of choice? Twitter. Um, look, I'm probably a little bit older, so Facebook's useful for yep. me uh, yep. and Instagram. I track a lot of our players on Instagram. Around, um, I, I love them posting things we do well. Um, so, for example, you know we were in South Africa, and, and um, uh, one of our players, Izzy Falau, who's a legend of a man, um, was organising us to to visit um, Live um, Liv, which is uh, an orphanage for for the the children, some of the children in South Africa, and, and um, this, their story is phenomenal, and uh, it was inspirational. And he was organising it, so I jumped on the bus, and you know, ten of us. I've got an, a, a photo I should put up of the ten boys. You know, going up there to to give some food and, and to play some touch rugby with the kids, and and, and and you know what? That's what life's about. Um, it's about those guys who are who are lucky enough to be playing the sport they love um, in their downtime, being able to go and, and and give a little bit of life to, to some kids who are in a, you know they've had a pretty tough gig for them to end up where they've ended up. They don't get there. Um, by taking the easy road, and, and somebody like Izzy Falau, Tankeli Nerevoro, you know, Latu, these guys were the guys that lined up and went there, and and that's good. That's the that's the good in sport. And, and what I saw that day from from the guys that run that orphanage, humbling, humbling, and and um, and you know what? When you're a sports person or involved in sport, and you have the privilege to travel the world, um, if you don't take the opportunity to go and and and, and see those places and, and visit those people, then you're really missing the point. So, from a social media perspective, I should probably that's something I should push. You know. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, do you have you found that social media has changed the way you communicate with your players, or has it always been the yes. same? No, no, it's completely changed. Yeah. Okay. I can post. So, for example, from a from a Waratahs perspective, uh, we have WhatsApp is massive for us in terms of just communication pathway, but uh, Facebook for me in terms of a closed group. There's a really easy way to get diagrams and pictures up, and then it's really easy for me to see 42 players have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get them to tick a like box to go, yeah, I've read it, I understand it. So, and, and you know what? When they leave here, and it's the same for the data presentation, when they leave here, some of them might hop in the car or a train, you really want to hit them with that stuff before they get home. So on their phone, they can open their phone up, and I can go, look, boys, this is the critical stuff for this week. And there might be five bullet points or it might be a nice picture of what our theme is that week. And and, and I know that the 32 guys have, have read that before they even get home. So the social media side of, of the ability to communicate with the younger generation is really important. And they're quick at it. Jeez, they're quick at it. Um, they, know, they know a whole lot more before I do. Um, and, and around, around what's happening. So... Um, it's a very, very fast – emails are a waste of my time. If I send them an email, seven days later, if I ask half of them if they read it, they probably haven't. Whereas if I post a picture on Facebook around what they need to achieve that week, within 15 minutes, 32 of my 40 have seen it. So you've got to be intelligent around the way you communicate to your player group, and I know that works for them. So I make things that look good on Facebook. <laughs> nice. Well, I know you're a busy guy, so I'm going to let you go, but I just want to – like I'm just reiterate what I said at the start that I think it's critical that we get this other viewpoint from not just the athletic performance coaches but all the way up the chain. So as an assistant coach, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving your viewpoint. And um, yeah, thank you very much.
Yeah, Rob, look, I really appreciate it. And look, from my point of view, they're my opinions and and what I've I've dealt with so far. And some of it might be useful, some of it might not be, like anything. But um, if you're constantly learning and constantly working with your coaching staff and your athletic performance group, that relationship is so important. And, 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 you know, um, for the success of your players, there's not many more relationships that are more important. Perfect. Well, thank you very much. Really appreciate it again. And uh, have a good rest of your day. Cheers, Rob. No problems. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Massive thanks to Simon for giving up his time in his hectic schedule. And also big thanks to Val Performance and Fatigue Science for sponsoring this episode today. So in the next couple of weeks, we have some really, really good guests. I know I say it every single week, but we actually do. Um, the, the quality guests keep on coming, and hopefully I can keep delivering well into the 200s, well into the 300s. But really looking forward to delivering the podcasts that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Hopefully they will um, spark some good discussion. So thanks again for tuning in. Thanks again for your support, and I will speak to you next week. <laughs>